their life experience right. that they're having with me and it's shaping who they are, the human that they're going to become that is not only going to impact their own life, but impact all the lives that they're going to bump into in their journey. So that's why I have stayed and to be able to impact and to be able to help teachers to actually to be more equipped than what I was in those moments when I first started. That is really the root of my why, like having that impact. everyone. I'm Kate Klein from Teachstone. Welcome back to the new season of the Teaching with Class podcast. This season, we'll continue hearing from inspiring educators who know what real life is like in classrooms and who will share tons of ideas you can use right away in your classroom. In this episode, we're kicking things off with the very inspirational Chaz Lewis. You might know him from TikTok, Instagram, and his own podcast on Get Vocal as Mr. Chaz. His mission in life is to enjoy the process of becoming the best version of himself and help others do the same. As an educator and educational specialist, Mr. Chaz understands the critical impact teachers have on the world and that teaching is a choice we make each day. As you join our conversation, Take a moment to consider this. What inspires you to continue choosing the important work you do each day? So, Mr. Chaz, welcome. And I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. I'm excited to be here and have a conversation with you and with everyone listening, all the teachers and coaches and mentors, anyone out there working with young children. Super. All right. So I have heard you mention that one reason you started teaching was because you needed a job. (laughs) And well, so I thought to myself, well, there are a lot of jobs you could have chosen, but why teaching? Why specifically with young children? Part of why I chose working with children is because there's something about children that's just so unique in their perspective and I feel like they have a lot to offer and a lot to teach us adults as well. Mm. Now, I'm going to be 100% honest with you, and this isn't probably the best thing to say, but it's my truth. And it's probably some other people out there, too, who are thinking about getting a job or I had applied at other places. And I was a teen when I was applying, looking for a job, and I didn't know what like I was going to do. I had done some work with children, some volunteer work with children in the past, but I was really open to take a job anywhere. Now, my friend had recently just got a, a job at the childcare facility down the street. Oh, uh, okay. Um, and they actually had a lot of openings because there was uh, apparently some big altercation that happened in the baby room between oh. some coworkers some teachers and so they had a lot of openings and you know the reason why I want to be honest and I want to like share that is because it speaks to two things one it speaks to the turnover that Mm -hmm. is so present in our field in our profession and there are often people directors who are begging people to come through the doors who they can relatively trust to work with children 
And so I think I kind of came in in that and I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll work here. I don't have any experience other than that, a little bit of volunteer work. But yeah, I like kids. I will give it a try. And it also speaks to, I think, the importance of culture mm. in a school and how that also contributes to turnover. So now why I started working with children it's because I needed a job. Now, why I continued working with children is something completely, entirely, an entirely different conversation. What yeah. is it about teaching that's kept you around? Yeah. So well, when I first started working with children, one thing that I say that I enjoyed, I really did enjoy just being with children and connecting with them and kind of just getting into their world. It's unlike any other different professional job. And I think I was drawn to that because of my own personal like energy for things and liking to move around. And I think another reason why I was drawn and continued to stay is because I was the child who talked too much in class and kind of got in trouble <laughs> class and was dismissed often in class and struggled with teachers and didn't have a lot of great relationships with a lot of teachers in my school and career. There were definitely some where I had great relationships with, but in the aggregate as a whole, I would say probably I didn't have a great relationship with 95% of the mm. teachers that I had the pleasure of learning from. Right. And so there was a little bit of wanting to kind of like kind of seeing those children that struggled and wanting to get back to them. Now, why I continue to stay like and I had to anyone working in child care knows that you have to have a lot of reasons to stay because, yes. you know, if I didn't have so many reasons, there wasn't the strong pull to stay and to do the work that I was doing. I would have left because it really would not have been worth it. It's a hard job that is draining and there's a lot to learn. You don't get a lot in return. You don't get much money in return. You often don't get a lot of appreciation in return. You don't get status. People look down on early childhood professionals a lot of times. So really my big reason for staying, and it's the reason why I'm still in the space still doing the work is because I understood the gravity of what I was doing, mm. of, of growing the next generation of humans who are going to inherit the earth. Yes. Right. And they're going to have to solve problems and actually have, you know what, Kate, completely impromptu. I did not plan to do this, but I actually have a little bit of a kind of a spoken word that I created to kind of express. And it, it actually comes from a real experience that I'm going to share with you awesome. um, in just a moment. And I don't really share this one often, but growing the next generation of humans, I understood the gravity of that. Now mm -hmm. that's what kept me, but that also is what stressed me out too, because I would go into situations and I would not know how to help children with the conflict that they were having. I try to help a child or two children having conflict and they'd end up more mad or hitting each other where they were just yelling at each other. Now they're hitting each other. I'm like, man, am I ruining the next generation? <laughs> like, I, want, I know this is a big job, but like, I really don't know how to do it. And at that point, when you first start, you don't get a lot of training, or at least I didn't get a lot of training. And I think that's indicative of most early childhood facilities. It's changed since. And I've been a part of that change as I kind of grew in the company, had more power in the company. But when I first started, 
it was a three-day practicum. <laughs> it was like the three-day practicum was like, you know, it's a day of paperwork. It's, it's a day of like HR policies. Maybe you see, you, you take a tour of the building or something. Right. You, know, you do like a little scavenger hunt. <laughs> and then the last day was like a play video. And to tell you how outdated, to indicate how outdated this play video was, I had to put it in a VCR to watch it. So you just know that like, it wasn't the most robust training to prepare me for being in a classroom with 30 children, ages three to five years old and all the things that come with it. And so I really, really struggled there. And so where the same thing that pulled me like, man, I want to, find out how to get better at this and right. do better. And like, there's gotta be a, a better way. And I gotta learn different things and try them out. It was the same thing that was really stressing me out. I was like, oh man, there's this weight on me. And like, not even just the weight of the internal weight I was putting on myself, of the directors, administrators, other teachers, parents, and all the, the children themselves, because this is their life experience right. that they're having with me. And it's shaping who they are, the human that they're going to become, that is not only going to impact their own life, but impact all the lives that they're going to bump into in their journey. So that's why I have stayed and to be able to impact and to be able to help teachers to actually to be more equipped than what I was in those moments when I first started. That is really the root of my why, like having that right. impact. And so that's why I'm on this podcast with you. So I can reach out to that teacher right now, sitting on their break, listening, wondering if they're going to walk back in that, <laughs> that school, or they're going to just drive off never to be seen again. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to reach out to you, the teacher that is deciding whether if they want to work with children or not. The administrator who love teaching, but then in their administrative role, now they hate their job and it's not the same and they miss the classroom. The right. parent that has been blessed with this or many bundles of joy, but don't quite understand child development or any other way to you know, help children other than the way that they were raised through fear and coercion. Mm -hmm. you know? And so like, that is why I stay and why I do what I do at the root of it. Now, I promise you a little bit of a spoken word piece. Let's okay. see if I can remember this because I have not done this or even said this to myself in a long time, <laughs> but let's see if I can remember it. So I was having this conversation, right? And this was on the classroom, monster classroom with the four-year-old, right? And she said, Mr. Chaz, Mr. Chaz, why are you my teacher? I thought about it for a second while I took a breather. Then I got on eye level and talked to her like an equal. And basically, I told her she's a sequel to our people. And I told her about the humans and everything we've been doing, like the rockets we've been boosting and our influence through pollution. So I told my four-year-old student, the teachers make the problems, the students make solutions. And one day you'll be choosing what to do when the humans lose their cool and I don't want you to be a fool. So that's why you come here and go to school. And that's why I come here and teach you. Cool beans, cool beans, cool beans. Looking to earn your child development associate? 
With Teachstone CDA with Class, you can choose the learning experience that best suits your preferred style of learning. Choose our on-demand program to access coursework on your time and at your pace. Or enroll in our facilitated CDA with Class to join a friendly team of educators who will guide you through the process over 24 weeks. Take control of your professional journey with CDA with Class. For more information, visit teachstone.com slash CDA. Thank you so much. That's really, that is really inspiring because it is about building the classroom community that we want to see growing around us, right? As we step out of the way as the adults and we're handing the world off to the young people coming up to know that we've done what we can do to help them learn how to solve problems and all that. So talk to us about how you build that community then in your classroom. I I heard you mention in your spoken word about talking to children like they're equals and explaining things. So tell us more. Yeah. So, you know, there's lots of ways to build community and it's an ongoing process, ongoing conversations. That's not just some book you read, you you put on a lesson plan with some book that you read and say, we're like a community and we all hold hands. Let's all put our handprints and all agree to be a community. Like that's not, well, those are great things to do and symbolic fun things to do and and communicate your values to parents or walking in and administrators and in the spark conversations. That's not really the root of how you create community. It's in those little things that you, it's in the big things, it's Mm. in the medium things, and it's in the little things that you do. And maybe even the things that you don't notice that you do. So one big thing in terms of creating a community where we struggle is when we have a child who is struggling, right? And I think this is one of the best, I mean, opportunities, a child who is having a hard time um, is a really good opportunity to kind of reinforce some of those community values, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I've seen teachers, and I've honestly, to be to be honest, I've been that teacher too, who's gotten frustrated over, you know, with a certain child exhibiting certain behaviors, and that comes out in my tone and how I address the child, and you know, even if a lot of times we don't mean to. If we're not being conscious and intentional about our tone and how we're seeing the child or and we're just using the words or we're just using the script that we saw in a class handbook or in a conscious discipline thing, Mm -hmm. then we may be saying like, oh, we all support each other. We're all a community. We're all here to help each other. But if we every time a child is struggling, we're chastising them, even just with our tone and our body language children will pick up on that and they will do the same. I've seen it over and over and over and over again. As a person who has gone to school, so many different classrooms, Mm -hmm. so many different teachers and so many different, I've seen teachers cycle in and out of the same little community. Right. I tell you a hundred percent how we speak to children, how we speak about children, how we address and approach children, the children the other children in the community, they catch on to that. And if you say, if you're always, whenever, let's say, we'll call Max, right? Johnny always gets a bad rep. We always say, Johnny, let's use it (laughs) Max, right? 
let's say Max takes books off the bookshelf and they and he puts them in some place where they're not supposed to be, or he gets up from circle time before you've dismissed everyone, or maybe you have a hard time transitioning from certain things or cleaning up. Mm-hmm. So when we go, every time Max does not clean up and we go, Max, how many times did I have to tell you? Maxwell Johnson, right? We usually say that they're their first and last name and mm-hmm. tone as opposed to going going up to them and not making a big scene about it or like or or and taking the time to see like, oh, I see you're really you're really into those Legos. You really love that Lego dinosaur mansion that you made. And you're playing with your with your dinosaurs. You love that. And I see that you want to keep that. I know it's hard to put it away. Maybe we can take a picture of it and we can save it that way. Or maybe we can put it up on the shelf and we can save it that way. Or maybe we can knock it down and build it again. But like taking that time to collab- to connect and to collaborate, you know, if we're not doing that. And instead we're like, Max, how times I have to tell you? And we're just judging and chastising. Mm-hmm. The children will pick up on that very quickly and learn to do the same thing with their own, with their peers. And how does that feel when all your peers, you're struggling with something, you're having a hard time with something, and all your peers start yelling at you, or one of your peers right. starts yelling at you in a way that's chastising, not in a way that's helping you, not in a way that's seeing you, not in a way that's supporting you, in a way that is meant to make you feel bad about what you're struggling with and hopes that you'll just change your behavior as opposed to supporting someone in that moment. And so that's not a community feel like, and so I'll give a real, an actual example because it's important to give examples. I had a child who struggled a lot with many things. It was a three, four, five-year-old classroom developmentally. We assessed him, he'd be more on a two-year-old age level. He was in a three-year-old classroom. So, and it was clear developmentally that he was in a different place than every other child in the classroom. Right. And it was clear the other children could see it. Like verbal skills weren't quite there where everyone else's was there and transitions and energy and all those things, right? And so one of the things in particular the child struggled with, he loved to get on the computer, right? And we had, a, in this class, I had a computer. It was still a desktop. We had iPads in the classroom, you know, like funding, like classrooms are kind of late to get new things, right? Right. <laughs> so our, with the computer still worked. And so we used the computer. And what we did is that we had the way that I operated in my classroom community is that we had two people at any time and we use like visual timers and all that stuff. And there are some children who struggle to use the computer for a variety of reasons. Fine motor skills would have been one of those things. Controlling the mouse with control mm-hmm. is difficult, especially for young children. And some of the children had like iPads. So they would like go up to the screen. They try to swipe the screen. Right, like, exactly. Yeah. That's not how it works. Right. And so there's some kids, inevitably there's some kids who struggled with the computer. There's some kids who knew how to use it and knew how to use the mouse and everything. But all the kids wanted to be on the computer. <laughs> so that's not anything new. Now, the child I was talking about, we'll call him Max too. He was on the computer with another child, we'll call her Camilla, right? And and Max got frustrated as he normally would. 
And he started kind of banging on the keyboard and kind of banging on the computer because it wasn't doing what he wanted it to do. Right. right? And he didn't have those skills. And me as a teacher who cares very much about the classroom property and the very limited, and that, if that computer breaks, we're not getting another one. That's, that's so, it. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't even know if we're ever going to, we just might not, we just might be a classroom that doesn't have a computer anymore. Exactly. And that's just, it may even advertise it. <laughs> you know, we just, you roll with it. So, and I think that the, that the computer has, there's a lot of valuable lessons in it. And so what this child did, what Camilla did when, after he bang, he said, she said, I remember she said, it's okay, Max. Do you want me to help you move the mouse? Which one do you want to click on? Right. And this was a big deal to me because previously, maybe a couple of weeks before in my classroom, they were having that reaction that like every time you did something that wasn't outside of you know, the typical expectations for the group, like people would chastise them for, like, would say, Max, how, stop doing that. Don't do that. They would do the, the same thing. And I noticed it came from, originally it came from me. And then it came, it went into my assistant. I started to become conscious of it and I stopped doing it. I started to become conscious of it. And I stopped mm-hmm. doing it. But my assistant would still respond to the child in that way. And so the children would. And so then I had a conversation with my assistant and we talked about it and we both agreed that like the way that we approached it and our tone, like we would not respond with our frustration and our finger wagging anymore. And when we changed, the children changed. Right. And when we changed and the community changed, the success that that child that Max was having changed as well. Now, did Max still struggle with, did he still struggle with transitions and using the computer and all the things he struggled with before? Yes, he still had those struggles, but the way we were able to navigate and move through those struggles, we made a world of difference, right? And not escalating the situation and addressing it with success and just, the day, the overall emotional climate mm-hmm. of the actual classroom too. And that first had to come from really me. Right. I'm not even going to say my assistant teacher because the way it was like, I know some people have like co-teachers and I'm like all about the co-teacher model, but realistically speaking, this was the class that I was in charge of and I was the leader of and my assistant was really there looking to me for guidance. Mm -hmm. And so I had to take responsibility for that. And I had to make a shift in myself to make a shift in the environment, to make a shift in the success that the child was having. So that's one example of how to create a community. And yeah, do all like the general, like, bring in people's ask them about their family and and have those conversations talk about the individual differences talk about how one person shrink can help someone else and it's okay that we have weaknesses and acknowledge your own weaknesses and and when you make mistakes as a teacher as an adult like talk about them so that they know that their mistakes aren't reasons for them to be ostracized from the group that they're just something to be acknowledged and improve on and we can support each other in it. Um, And so that's, 
really, and really that's, I know that's a long answer, but that's one aspect of creating a community. But I find it's one of the most important parts and the parts where we struggle the most. Yes, yes, is making sure to provide that model, right? That model and being self-reflective of like, what tone am I setting in my classroom? Is this the community I spend all day long here with these people, right? Is this where I want to spend all day? What's this going to be like for me as a person spending my energy here all day long? And how am I connecting with those around me at my same level? How are we setting the tone for the children? Really making sure that people know they're welcome, their ideas are welcome, their strengths are welcome, their challenges are welcome, right? Yes. All of that. And we work through that together. We support yeah. each other. That's what I heard in that comment of that child being able to say, it's okay. How can I help you? Yeah. Right. That we're here to help and support each other in our community yes. and not exclude people or make people feel bad for the struggles that they're having, yes. but to be able to say, I see you're struggling. How can I help? Yes. And, but if you're not doing that as an adult, children aren't going to naturally do that. That's, no. that's something they learn from the model that you provide to them. Right. So it's really helpful to think about that as you're setting the tone, not just for your group of children, but now, I mean, I've even heard stories of parents that'll come in and say, you know, my child said to me, stop and think, you know, or whatever, yeah. right? Like I was having a, a moment in the car of frustration with the driver, right? A little bit of road rage. And my yeah. child said, oh, let's stop and think, right? So yeah. it translates out to the broader community little by little what yeah. we're doing. One little extra piece of nuance that's going to make this even harder more and more of an area of an opportunity for us. Yeah. Is that doing it genuinely and authentically and not because someone's watching you or because this is what you're supposed to do, but to genuinely see, to get in that perspective of getting to their perspective and, and also really see those kind of misbehaviors as, as often a cry for help, a cry for support. It's easy to talk the talk and to say that. It's much harder to actually believe that. Mm -hmm. And why it's so important is because it will impact your ability to problem solve in that moment Mm. and to support in that moment. Because if you don't really believe it, you might try a thing or do a thing and then easily give up when it doesn't pan out the way that you expected it to pan out. Um, Like, well, you know what? See, this is why they're just trying to get on my nerves and Mm -hmm. they're just trying to be a bad kid. And we'll very easily go back to our default, which is often based off the way that we were raised, which isn't always, we uh, didn't always have the healthiest patterns of behavior modeled for us. Exactly. Um, Exactly. And we live that out. Then we have opportunity then to live that out or to change it. Right. And find a new way. And I agree. Children will sniff out your insincerity and your right. If if it's lip service, they they can tell if you're saying, oh, we're all friends here, but you go sit over there. (laughs) Right. right? They're like, "Hmm, this doesn't make sense to me. And I'm going to say it's okay for me to 
push someone away or right make their challenge the challenge that they're presenting to my day something that I can fight against rather than solve a problem. So. Children process your body language and tone before they process your words. Yes. So yeah, the words you use are important. Yes, hundred percent. Words you use are important. Yeah. And our body language, our tone, those other ways that we communicate, I would say are just as, if not more important, that often tell the truth. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It has to match. We have to learn to, no matter where you're at, whether you are a teacher, whether you are a director, where you're the owner of the company, realize that you, the way that you care for another person is going to impact the way that they care for another person. So if you're an owner, the way that you care for the people below you is going to impact the way that they care for the people below them, Mm -hmm. the the people below them, the people below them. And it will filter out. It will go all the way down to the children and their own individual power dynamics because there are power dynamics among Mm -hmm. children as well. So just know that director out there listening. Yeah know that the way that you care for your teachers is going to impact the way that they can care for the children. And if you're a teacher and you're thinking about ever being in a leadership position, know how important, remember how you feel right now, whether you feel seen or you don't feel seen, remember that and, and take those lessons with you when you get in a leadership position and you have the opportunity to see and a guide or to dismiss and ignore. Remember that, keep that with you and care for others. What's that community that you want to build, right? Yeah. 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 It starts at every level. Be the community that you want to build. Yes. Oh my goodness. This has been so fun talking with you today. And thank you so much for sharing your cool beans. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That was really inspiring to think about how to connect with children about why we do what we do and that we're here for them every day. And we make this choice, right. To be here with them every day. It's like a, it's like a daily choice to come back (laughs) right, and try again and try even better. So I appreciate all your wisdom. If you had 30 more seconds to give one little piece of encouragement to that teacher who's like, I don't know if I can come back tomorrow. What would you say to convince them to come back? Oh man, I forgot this podcast was so short. It has so many things on the same world. (laughs) But the most important thing is avoid being a perfectionist, be an improvementist. Mm, The goal isn't to be perfect every day. The goal is to improve a little every day. Try things out, mess up. Mistakes are an essential part of the learning process. Learn something, try it out, reflect, and then try again. You don't beat yourself up. Don't shame yourself because things didn't go the way that you expected or things that you don't have full control or whatever. It is okay. You are learning right alongside the children. So avoid being a perfectionist, be an improvementist. That's awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Wow. What a fun and inspiring conversation. Mr. Chaz left me with three big things to think about. First, a classroom is a community. 
So it's important to think seriously about what kind of community I want to create in my classroom and model it consistently. It all starts with me. Also, a sense of belonging is important in a community. I need to make sure all children have a sense of belonging in my classroom. So I need to find ways to connect with children whose behavior is a cry for support instead of excluding them, which destroys their sense of belonging. And with Mr. Chow's encouragement, I can decide that it's okay to let go of being a perfectionist and be an improvenist instead. What are you thinking about and what will you try tomorrow? Thank you for choosing to teach another day. And until next time, please take care of yourself and your team because what you do matters. Mm -hmm.